You're listening to the Paul Hutchings Podcast, brought to you by paulhutchings.net, teaching you to be free through principle-centered lessons on personal development, online marketing, and financial literacy. Hey, 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 what's going on, friends and fellow Freedom Crusaders? It is time for another edition, another empowering, enlightening, inspiring, motivating edition of the Paul Hutchings Podcast, and you are in for a treat today. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing with you seven proven power principles for jaw-dropping, attention-grabbing, effective communication, communication that hits the mark. And if you're going to be successful in your various endeavors, communication is key. Being able to use your language in ways that touch the heart, mind, and soul. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, right? We know that the word has powerful, powerful effects. So that's what we're going to be plugging into today. I want to encourage you to sit back, relax, and soak this information up. It can have a dramatic impact on your business. I want to start off with a story. So a number of years ago, I was listening to an audio from the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jim Rohn, who you've heard me talk about if you've been plugging into prior episodes of the podcast. And in this particular episode, Jim Rohn was introducing this topic of communication. And he told a story about this person who had this mansion and was holding this dinner and they were all sitting around this big, luxurious, long table and the beautiful dining ware was set out with the plates and the silverware and the crystal glasses and the guests were sitting around the table waiting for the meal to be delivered. And the host was sitting at one end of the long table and the guests were all scattered around the table. And in this particular story, as I remember it, we're focusing our attention on the guest that was sitting at the opposite end of the table from the host. Well, all of a sudden, the waiter comes out of the kitchen with this steak and the steak is beautiful. The meal looks wonderful. There are all of these beautiful greens next to the steak and everyone's really excited to eat the meal. And the waiter comes over to the table where the host is sitting, picks up the steak with his right hand, winds up in a professional baseball pitching windup and throws the steak at the guest at the opposite end of the table and hits the guest in the face. Now you can imagine the reaction of the guest that just gets pelted in the face with this steak. And Jim Rohn goes on to talk about how this steak, everyone wanted to have a bite. Everyone wanted to eat this wonderful meal. But the way that the steak was delivered had a massive impact on how that steak was received by the guests at the table. Had the steak been carefully delivered and set down on the plate, the guests would have enjoyed it a lot more than getting it right in the face. And so the point here, of course, is you can have something so valuable and so insightful and so impactful and so life-changing, but if you deliver it in the wrong way, the people that you want to serve will not be benefited because they'll be pelted in the face with your message. And so what we really want to do as communicators is learn to take the valuable information that we have and deliver it in the best way possible in a way that it will be received. And that's what these seven proven principles are going to help you with. So here we go. Number one, proven principle, da-da-da-da, use stories in your communication. Think about whatever topic you're going to be delivering, and if you can, think of a story that can lead up to the thing that you're going to be sharing. A lot of times people will say to themselves, I'm not a storyteller. I could never tell a great story. I just, you know, I can't remember stories. I I, I don't know how to deliver them. And, and here's what I want to say to anyone who has that in their minds. We are all 
natural storyteller. So if you're telling yourself you're not a storyteller, what you're really doing is you're lying to yourself because if you call your mind to any conversation that you've had with a friend or family member, odds are that conversation was filled with stories. So-and-so said this, oh, you'll never believe what happened. So-and-so did this. And then the other person did this. You're telling stories. All a story is, is a verbal relation of something that happened, usually between one or two or more people. And so stories are really easy. And if you pay attention to your daily life, you will find stories that you can share. I've got four kids and we have these interactions and I'm always looking at the things that I'm doing with my kids and the conversations that we're having. Here's the other point with stories. You want to make sure that the story you tell has a payoff and is relevant to the person or the audience that you're speaking to. If you tell a story and you get to the end and the person you're speaking with is wondering, why did they just tell me this story? What's the point? What's the payoff? What did I get from this? Then you've missed the entire value of the story. So the point of telling a story is to actually have a point. So just be looking for different things that are happening in your life on a daily basis and be looking for some sort of lesson that you can tie into those stories and you will find that you'll become an excellent storyteller. And as you improve in your ability to tell stories, your influence will definitely increase over time. So that's number one, use stories in your communication. Number two, Use metaphors in your teaching. A metaphor is nothing more than saying, hey, this is like this. And in fact, I remember listening to an audio from Anthony Robbins and he explained this in a great way. He was talking about teaching and he said the best teachers in the world will take something that the student is not familiar with and relate it to something the student is familiar with. That is just using a metaphor. So if you're teaching someone about electricity and they're not familiar with the principles of electricity, you can say, if you can imagine water flowing down a pipe, you can imagine water flowing down a pipe, right? And the person's thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I know what pipes are and I know how water flows down the pipe. Well, electricity in a wire is kind of like that. And then you go on to talk about how they are like each other. And then what happens in the mind of the listener is because you're you're talking about something the listener feels they understand, they will then grasp the thing that they did not understand. So use metaphors in your communication. That's principle number two. So we got stories, we got metaphors, and here's the next thing. And before I introduce the next thing, I wanna introduce one little caveat to be aware of. In your communication, oftentimes you'll be communicating either with one person, one-on-one, -on -one, or you'll be communicating with a group of people. If you're writing an email to an email list, you're communicating with a group of people. If you're speaking in a podcast, you're communicating uh, to a group of people, hopefully, ideally. Right? We'd like more people to listen to what we're doing than, than just one. Uh, but there are some distinctions in communication to be aware of, depending upon which situation you're in. So just be aware of that as we're, as we're continuing on here. Stories and metaphors, they work great for one-on-one -on -one communication and also group communication. Number three, ambiguity. Ambiguity is the third communication principle to be aware of. And ambiguity is nothing more than making the decision to be slightly vague or ambiguous in the words that you choose to use in your communication. And there are a myriad of different ways that 
this can be applied, but I wanna give you a couple key examples. So one of my favorite authors, as you might well know, is Dr. Napoleon Hill. And all throughout his books, Dr. Hill uses this somewhat mysterious term called infinite intelligence. He uses this term when talking about faith. He says that the subconscious mind is the connecting link between the finite mind of man and infinite intelligence. And so he uses this term all throughout his communication. And in one of his books, he had one of his students come up to him at an event one time. And the student says, Dr. Hill, I got to ask you a question. When you use the term infinite intelligence, are you talking about God? And Napoleon Hill said, well, of course I am. And the student said, why do you not use the term God? And then Napoleon Hill said, well, it's because I have students all over the world in many different cultures who all come from different faith traditions, and I don't want to exclude any of them. So I've chosen to use a word that is a little more ambiguous, right? Ambiguous, because it, let's say if I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus is the one and only true God, and let's say the communicator is talking about Allah, right? We'll use that term from another faith tradition. Well, as a Christian, I'm going to feel excluded and I'm going to feel like, well, that's not the God that I believe in. But if you use a term like Napoleon Hill did, infinite intelligence, then as a Christian, I might be able to see that, wow, infinite intelligence, you know, that that's a word for describing maybe part of my Christian faith and God and the Supreme and the Almighty and someone who might be a Muslim could also see themselves in that term. So one of the benefits of using ambiguous communication is that you can be more inclusive in your communication so that as you're speaking to groups of people, many different people from many different beliefs can find themselves included in your messaging rather than feeling excluded. So just being aware of this, you will automatically begin to start noticing in your communication where you can choose to be a little more ambiguous and therefore include a larger audience inside of your communication. Now, one other benefit to being ambiguous is this. When we communicate, one of the things that we're doing with our words is we are creating pictures in the minds of the people that we are speaking to. And if we are too specific with our communication, we can create pictures in the minds of the people that we're speaking to that maybe might have the opposite effect that we would want it to have. And one of the great examples of this comes from a hypnosis training that I went through one time where the hypnotist was talking about helping people relax. And the hypnotist said, now you could guide people to relaxation by saying something like, now I want you to imagine the most beautiful, peaceful, white, sandy beach that you can imagine. And imagine yourself there sinking down into the sand, allowing the sun to bathe upon your skin with this feeling of warmth. And he said for a lot of people, that would be a great way to help them relax. But let's say you're talking to someone who maybe had a traumatic experience at a beach. Well, when you start to describe specifically a beach scenario, 
you're not going to help that person relax. You're going to help them feel anxiety or frustration or negative emotions that were associated with that negative experience that they had at the beach. Instead, if you use ambiguous communication, what you're doing is you're allowing the person you're speaking to to use their own pictures and experiences to fill in the blanks with where it is you're endeavoring to lead them. So instead of saying something like, I want you to imagine the most relaxing, peaceful beach, you could say, I want to invite you to call your mind back to one of the most peaceful moments that you've ever had in your entire life. And maybe you can find yourself there now, noticing all of the sounds and pictures that caused you to sink deeper into relaxation. So you're using ambiguity, again, to allow the audience to go where they want to go that will help them to achieve the goal that you want to help them achieve. So that's ambiguity. And one last little example, sometimes when I'm telling stories, rather than using a person's first name or being gender specific, I will say something like, you know, a great friend of mine said this, or I was having this experience with with a friend. And then I will tell the story and I won't necessarily specify whether the interaction I was having was with a man or a woman. And again, what that allows my audience to do is kind of fill in the blanks with their own imagination. So that's a useful thing to be aware of ambiguity and you'll practice it and become good at it just by being aware of it. So we got number one stories, number two metaphors, number three ambiguity, number four. And now we're getting into one-on-one communication. And this is especially useful for inviting people in a one-on-one scenario to do things rather than command them or tell them in a way whereby they might resist. How do you feel when people try to force you to do things? I know for me, if they try to force me or try to push something on me, it makes me want to run away. I don't like it when people try to force. But if people invite me to do things in the right way, oftentimes I'm open and happy and willing to comply with that invitation. So this is useful for inviting people to do things in a variety of scenarios, but the place that I've used this the most is in building my business, in network marketing and affiliate marketing, inviting people to take a look at my sales material in a one-on-one scenario, this has made me a lot of money. And this is called the irresistible invitation. And here's how it goes. Paul, if I could blank, would you be open to blank? And what you do is you fill in the blanks with the appropriate phrases based on the person that you're speaking with and the thing that you want them to do. So a simple example is if I've been talking to someone a little bit and they've been telling me that they want to build a $3,000 monthly residual income from home so they could quit their job and spend more time with their family, I would say something like, you know, Mike, if I could show you a faster way to hit that $3,000 monthly income goal so you can get rid of your boss and spend more time with your family, would you be open to watching a short video that might show you how to do that? Absolutely, I'd be open, right? That's the irresistible invitation and that works like magic, okay? So that's number, number four. And then tied along in that, I wanna give you a bonus tip. There is a phrase or type of phrase that you can use in your communication that softens the communication up a little bit and makes it even less forceful. 
And these types of phrases are called presuppositions of possibility. And they are expressed in words like may, might, possibly, could. And so if you'll call your mind back to this example I just gave, Mike, if I could show you a way where you might be able to hit that $3,000 monthly income goal a little bit faster, would you be open to watching a video that could possibly help you do that? And so when you insert words like may, might, possibly, it, it just softens it up and it, and it opens it up to where it feels like to the person receiving the communication, maybe, right? Maybe this could. And you sort of have this little feeling of hope inside you rise. And it also makes it feel like you're not promising things to people. Like if I could show you how to hit your $3,000 a month, would you be open to watching this video that I guarantee could help you do that? If you're too hard on those promises, people sort of naturally have objections arise in their minds where they're like, yeah, I don't know about that. It sounds like a pretty bold promise. I, I, don't, I don't think you can deliver on that but might and may and possibly, you know, we can all kind of agree with something that might happen. And so we tend to have less objections to possibility type language. So that's a bonus tip. Possibility words, presupposition of possibilities, use those in your language and you'll find people being even more receptive to your communication than maybe they are now. Okay, number five, this I've got to introduce with a quick story. So in my very first network marketing company, my sponsor was teaching me and one of the things that he told me was he said, Paul, you don't want to give people enough information that they can come to an assumption or jump to a conclusion because when we jump to conclusions without all of the information, he gave me some sort of percentage, like 70% of the times we jump to conclusions without all the right information, those conclusions we reach are wrong. So the worst thing you could do, he told me, was to give your prospect enough information to where they think they can come to a conclusion without having all the information because they're going to be wrong. And then he pulled out this blank sheet of paper and he wrote down the word assume. And he said, Paul, when you allow people to assume things that are not true, you make an, and then he covered up the U and the M and the E. And he said, what does that say? And I said, ass. <laughs> and he said, yes. And he says, so you make an ass out of, and then he covered up the ASS and the me. And what does that say, Paul? You. Yeah. So you make an ass out of you. And then he covered up the ASS and the U. And then he left the ME. And he said, what does that say? Me. And he said, so yeah, when you, when you lead people to assumptions that are wrong, you make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> and so for some reason, that has always stuck with me. And it's a great reminder to not do that. And the way we do that is we, we try to give people too much information, too fast, and they think they know everything about it, and then they jump to a conclusion that is wrong. And so how do we avoid this? Well, the way that we avoid this is we practice giving them the information at the right time and in the right way, which means we don't give everything to them all at once. We don't fire hose them in the face. Instead, we start off with one piece at a time, and then we introduce additional pieces of the information when the person is ready. So the way this plays out in a one-on-one -on -one sales interaction would be you would invite someone, hey, you know, if I could show you how to achieve your goal, would you be open to watching a short video? Yes, I sure would. Awesome. If I send this to you now, when can you watch it for sure? You send them the video, then you follow up with them and find out 
What was their reaction? Did they like what they saw? Did they have any questions? And from that point, you can then guide them to the next step, which might be getting them started in your business, or it might be answering some questions, or it might be introducing them to someone on your team, or it might be sending them another video that would fill in a few more pieces of the puzzle. And what you want to do is you want to guide people step by step by step, ideally until they come to their own conclusion that wow, this is good, and yes, I like this, and yes, I want to buy this, and then you help them get started. So send them the information at the right time and in the right way. Don't make an ass out of you and me and help people jump to conclusions that are wrong. That is tip number five. And number six, strive to be, and this is a term I believe I coined, benefit-driven in all of your communication. To be benefit-driven in all of your communication simply means that whenever you open your mouth and speak, you are number one thinking about the audience that you're speaking to and you're doing everything that you can to speak things that are riddled with benefits for your audience. And this is contrary to the natural tendency we have as human beings. Our natural tendency is to speak of things that interest us, to say things that we think about, that we care about, that are filling our minds and our lives. We want to talk about that stuff. But to be benefit-driven means you have self-discipline and you say, look, there are all these things that I know I want to talk about, but what I really should do if I want to grow an influence and I want to help people in the best way, I need to make sure that when I'm writing an email or I'm doing a video or I'm speaking somewhere, I'm number one, thinking about my audience. Number two, asking myself, what are things I could say that would be beneficial to my audience? And then number three, you deliver those benefits, right? With stories, with lessons that are relevant to your audience, with tips that are relevant to your audience, so on and so forth. Be benefit-driven in all of your communication because here's the reality. If every time you listen to someone they benefit your life, you're naturally going to want to continue to listen to them. Am I right or am I right <laughs> or am I wrong, right? You're naturally going to want to do that. So strive to be benefit driven in all of your communication. And then the last tip, number seven, the last proven power principle for effective communication comes also in the form of a story. And this comes from an audio that I heard way back in the day when I first got started in my entrepreneurial journey. And it was an audio from Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar was telling this story about how he was in the sales organization organization that was selling cookware, pots and pans. And Zig Ziglar was a sales leader in this organization. And he had this one salesperson that was struggling, wasn't selling anything and came to him one day. It's like, Zig, ah, buddy, I don't know what to tell you. I got all these problems. I got bills I can't pay. I'm not making any sales. My wife's going to leave me. You know, what do I do? I need your help. And Zig says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come over and go out with you and we'll see if we can help you change this effect that you're experiencing. We'll see if we can improve it so you can make some more sales, right? And so Zig goes over and he's going to spend the night at this guy's apartment the night before they go out for the sales day. Well, they're there in the in the apartment and Zig goes over to the cupboard to get a, a pot or a pan to cook some dinner and he opens up the cupboard and his jaw drops to the floor because he sees in the cupboard a competitor set of cookware and he says to his friend, friend, what is this? Where's the cookware that we're selling? Why do you have a competitor set of cookware in your cupboard? 
And his friend said, oh, Zig, all body, all pal. I've been meaning to buy that cookware, but you know, times are tough and it's a little expensive. And you know, I, I had to had to buy this cheaper stuff. And Zig turns to his friend and he said, friend, hear me once, learn this lesson once and forever. Don't make me ever repeat it again. Friend, sales is not a thing in the world but a transference of feeling. And if you don't believe in our cookware enough to actually be using it, how are you ever gonna transfer that feeling to the people that you wanna transfer it to? And that story always has stuck with me and helped me to remember that proven power a principle for effective communication number seven is you've got to use energy and enthusiasm and belief in your communication. One of my good friends, Todd Nuclear Young, I affectionately call him, has had a lot of success in direct sales. And he used to tell me, Paul, the three steps for success in business are step number one, you got to get excited. Step number two, you got to get excited. Step number three, you got to get excited and stay excited for as long as it takes to win. And that is true. When we communicate, if we are excited about our topic, if we are excited about our product, if we are excited about the value that we can deliver to people, if we are excited about about people's better futures, if we are sold on all of that, if we've got those things in our cupboard, when we open our mouths, that feeling will transfer through the words. So there you have it, my friend. Top seven power principles for effective communication. Number one, use stories. Number two, use metaphors. Number three, use ambiguity at appropriate times. Number four, use the irresistible invitation. Number five, don't make an ass out of you of me and give people too much information and allow them to jump to conclusions. Instead, give them the information at the right time and in the right way. Bite-sized pieces. Bible says milk before meat. Don't slap them in the face with the steak. Give them a little bit of milk and lead them on to the stake. Number six, strive to be benefit driven in all of your communication. And number seven, use energy and enthusiasm in your words. And you will find that people will continue to be attracted to you almost as if you were a magnet. So Hope this has been beneficial for you, my friend. As always, thank you for tuning into the Paul Hutchings podcast. I want to encourage you to get out there, take action, go for your dreams, make it a great day. And I will hope to hear you or at least have you hear me on next Monday's podcast. Take care and bye for now. You're listening to the Paul Hutchings podcast brought to you by paulhutchings.net, teaching you to be free through principle-centered lessons on personal development, online marketing, and financial literacy.